accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we are up to the episode called Dot 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 Nor the Battle to the Strong, the fourth episode of the fifth season, aired on October 21st, 1996. Teleplay goes to Renee Echevarria. A story credit goes to Bryce Parker, directed by Kim Friedman. After diverting to the Federation Hospital on Echelon Prime, looking for an interesting story, Jake believes himself to be a coward when repeated Klingon attacks awaken him to the reality of war and force him to abandon Dr. Bashir and run for cover. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? Uh, good. Getting back there anyway. Um, I think our our forced exile ended up working out pretty well because I don't think either of us were up for doing this for a while. <laughs> Not on an emotional level, but if people are uh, wondering, maybe if you're listening in real time, you don't sort of catch up to this in a year later and wonder what we're talking about. We took about a two-week break, I think. Uh, we both were sick. Clay got a little bit more mm-hmm. sick during that time. I had a... I Go ahead. missed Christmas. You I missed, missed Christmas. Christmas. Yes. Yeah. I uh, I made it through Christmas Eve and just into Christmas morning, and then I spent all of Christmas curled up in a ball with a stomach flu, while uh, everybody had had a roaringly good time. The floor below me. Best made Christmas me feel ever. Like the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> and I had a uh, I had a two month old actually get hospitalized for eight days in the ICU. Oh, way to one up me. I Wes. know. <laughs> That's what podcasts are all about. So while Clay was uh, uncomfortably watching Netflix movies, I had a child near death in the ICU. <laughs> And for your information, I had no tablet to watch anything <laughs> for at least half the day until I borrowed my dad's. Ch- so it was tough. Okay? Charger was on the other side of the room. I wasn't going to get up. But uh, now that the, the kid has died and passed on, we're able to continue the podcast. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, no, he's actually he's actually doing fine. Uh, it's that gallows humor that we're going to talk about in this episode, I suppose, Clay, that has to, uh, to kick things up a notch. But he was sick. He got RSV, which is terrible for infants. It's terrible for me. It's the reason I was sick for about a month uh, prior to us taking some time off. The infant got it. Uh, he had to be hospitalized. They intubated him and everything. Pretty severe, pretty serious uh, thing. So it was good to take some time off. He's better now. He's back. He's maybe not better, but he's certainly uh, feeling better and sleeping through the night. And he's at home, which is great. So thank you for all the uh, kind words and understanding. People sent some very nice messages asking about him. He's doing well, going to be fine, and that's about it. Thank so that's you for all. Break. Thank you for everyone also acknowledging that the stomach cramps that I had were very—they <laughs> were not pleasant. <laughs> They're very uncomfortable. The only other bit of housekeeping we have—I know that people don't. Uh, generally, one of our own pet peeves <clears throat> about podcasts is when you don't get right into it. But I thought I'd get this out of the way too. There's a, a poll on Patreon for all the patrons. I'm trying to figure out. Uh, what some of the best stuff that people like from Patreon is, and what people uh, things that people don't like. So I'd appreciate it if you're a patron on Patreon to go to that website, answer the poll. There's a couple questions and shouldn't take you more than a couple minutes. And that will sort of finalize what we continue to do for 2019 on the Patreon, just because I don't want to be spinning my wheels and putting up stuff that no one already cares about. So we're going to use this as a way to figure out how to make the Patreon work for everybody else. So thank you for supporting the show on Patreon if you are there. It's very much appreciated. So I think that's everything, Clay. Do, we, do you have anything other, uh, anything else you want to say before we get into this? I don't think so. No, I think that's it. We're back. 
I'm going to be doing a, a little like uh, the stats episode will come out the the podcast year in review I'm going to be doing as a video which will be out before this one but you guys can check that out for interesting uh, numbers about the podcast in 2019 here's to 2019 may it be better and brighter uh, than 2018 which was also a success in its own way so we're going to be talking about to uh, talking about nor the battle to the strong we'll take a break we're going to come back we're going to break it down it doesn't look that bad Stepping over a Klingon. Thought he was dead. Got me right in the foot. Ah! You people better get out of here while you still can. The Klingons. There's no stopping them. This is a phaser burn. What are you talking about? Just sit tight. We'll get to you as soon as we can. It's not a phaser burn! It was a Klingon. You weren't there. You don't know what it's like. The Klingons had us pinned down. We were done for. We all knew it. Hendricks and Pajal, they got scared. They ran. They ran! And Sully got hit in the leg. And the medics pulled him off the line. And all I could think was... I wish I were him. And I took my face. <laughs> oh, God. What did I do to myself? What did I do? All right. So, Clay, to throw this one off and over <clears throat> to you, I'm going to say that yes. we have, we've talked previously about how um, guest stars are a very big important role in a series like this in star trek particular mm-hmm. and we feel that a lot of episodes actually get um es- uh, elevated or uh sort of improved upon by great guest acting which would be something like duet which harris ulan uh, played a great cardassian character in that one really elevated the material and we spent the podcast the duet sort of wondering like well if it wasn't harris ulan what would we uh how good would this episode actually have ended up being i think this is the flip side of that coin this is a I think this is an interesting episode that is kind of undone by the guest, the amount of guest star actors that they have, and none of them do a particularly good job. So it kind of. Not- I would I would take some some offense to that. Ooh. I'm a huge fan of Francis from Pee Wee's Big Adventure, who I always am happy to see in anything. Who the hell he does he the play? Blue, the blue guy, the bald blue guy. Oh, okay. He was also chubby in Teen Wolf. Sure. He's also the guy from Naked Gun who yells, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo at the end of the movie after he sings the national anthem <laughs> or after he takes off the catcher's mask. Anyway, he's a he's a character actor from the 80s mostly, but uh, showing up yeah. here on the tail end of his <clears throat> career. Yes. Well, he will. Uh, he, yeah, he hasn't worked. I don't think very. Anyway, who cares? Um, it, yeah. I. Wh- what would you prefer? Would, would you because it's kind of a situation in which like you kind of have to have a lot of people you haven't seen before, you know? Yeah. Would you pre- like would you prefer that this took place on DS9 it's itself? No, I'd prefer that whatever the schism in acting quality that happened in the late 90s to like the to, to modern television era. Came, like I don't I don't feel we watch shows anymore that have guest stars that you're just like, Jesus, this guy like. Like, is this his first time acting? Like, is, is this... That's the, fair. Yeah. I, There's I, some I, stuff in this that is kind of... Like, whether it's the guy who shot himself in the leg or the guy that he runs into in the shell hole, both of those guys are like... 
it looks like they got them from the voice actors room of like Wing Commander. Or right. Something. Yeah. I, I think the for how important the guy who shoots himself in the foot is, he's a terrible actor. And the, and mm. it's just I, I I that's really my main problem because I watched this one. I watched this one twice. I watched it the first time and I was like, I have, I don't really care for this episode. Like I, I appreciate what they're doing, but I don't think it's very good. I watched it again with the eyes more towards what the script was about and less about mm-hmm. how the acting was holding things up. And I thought it improved on it. Like once I got past the sort of weirdness of the acting and having to deal with the fact that there's a lot of guest stars and Ciroc Lofton is carrying the show. Like, and he's, he does mm-hmm. a pretty good job, but he's, he's not the finest actor of the ensemble. Um, it improved immeasurably for me. I thought like it, it's a very, it's a very weird Star Trek episode. It's unlike anything else, I think, that the series has ever done. But what would you think about it? Well, it's uh, I actually the first thing I thought was um, I wonder. Well, I guess these came out fairly close back to back. Anyway, my what my thought was is uh, it seems like the writers trying to um, <clears throat> uh, taking another swing at what they thought they didn't do very well in the. Um, Shit. The, the, the one where they're all yeah the, the yeah. ship yeah of course the one where they're stuck in the ship of course the ship. yep uh yeah because because you said that they were they didn't think that they got across the uh the 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 plight of the of uh munez that's the name yeah yeah and, or you know, all of them injured. in general being trapped and everything yeah. like that yeah yeah it, it seems like they they they're taking another swing at the uh, uh war is hell kind of analogy that they kind of dip their toe into there um and really really leaning into it. Um, and yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I, I, this is another one where I didn't, I didn't super have high hopes going into it because of the way it started. Like, um, I hated the voiceover and I still don't particularly love it, even though I see how the, what it, what it actually is. Um, you mean being his, his book essentially? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know how I feel about I I I think I think it's really cheesy and I understand why they did it but I also it's tough for me to to be okay with a voiceover that is supposed to be someone recounting events that they were part of when you're also seeing events that they weren't a part of. Yep. You know what I mean? It's yep. just a just a storytelling thing that I, that that irks me. He, the um, the narrator has a sort of omnipresent viewpoint even though the character is involved in the things and he shouldn't know about what's going on outside of his own field yeah, of view. Yeah. Yeah, so like if you have this voiceover that's someone recounting a story but then you cut to something that's happening on Deep Space 9 that he's not a part of and would have no idea anything about. I feel I feel like that's a little uh, cheating a little bit. Um but I guess, you know, that's personal preference, I guess. I just don't really like voiceovers that much, even if they, they end up being this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, also, because his voiceover delivery I didn't think was very good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and also, yeah, it just, it also came off as like, I, I mean, maybe they were doing this to kind of, to trick you or something to make it a little bit of a reveal, but it feels very much like just internal monologue because he's doing that thing where like he's re- reacting to what the voiceover is saying as though he's thinking it. Yes. Um. So that's why I didn't like it at first because it just felt like it was internal monologue. And I was like, well, they never do this on this show. This feels really lame and really, really lazy. Um. So yeah, I could have done without that. Um. I think you could have done the same ending and with, with Cisco reading the thing and, and get the same reaction without it having to explicitly be the voiceover of, of everything that, that you had seen through the whole episode. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was, once we got into it, I thought it was really good. I, uh, I feel like, I think Ciroc Lofton does a pretty good job. I wonder if, I think he does, I think he's good. I think because, I think his. He's great at running under fire. I'll give him credit for that. Yeah. He's, he's a very good, like crazed runner. He was, his acting is very good. Oh, but I, I, I agree with you. I, I think he does a, <clears throat> this is probably the most he's ever been asked to do in an episode. And I thought he handled yeah. it pretty well because the visitor mostly takes it out of his hands and puts it into Tony Todd's hands. And this is the most mm-hmm. that he's ever had to do as an actor. I think he, he does a capable, fine job. He's better than any of the guest actors. I will say that. So, you know, yeah. there's that. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't have to do a lot of like, uh, subtle stuff. Like it's a lot of emotional swings and a lot of freaking out. And he actually is pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't come off as a lot of times that stu- stuff can come off as really actory and disingenuous. And I don't really think it comes off too much like that because he he is also a young kid. So that kind of comes through. So it feels like, you know, he's just freaking out as a kid. So, I, yeah, I thought he was pretty good. His worst moment, I think, is probably the gallows human where the doctors are talking about what's the worst way to die. And he's sort of like, this is not funny, guys. I think that's a pretty bad scene um, yeah. in terms of yeah. like what he was trying to get across there. Uh, but other than that, I think he's pretty effective. He's good in the he's good when he's running around outside. He's good with the reaction to everything. I thought that the um, w- what I think is really good about the episode is that I was actually really impressed with the way that they played the hustle and bustle of the ER that he's in. Kind of mm. like the I thought that the the way everything was framed and the way that everything was shot and the way that the actors are doing it, everything was really great. I was not pleased with a lot of the dialogue they were saying, which is stuff like cliche, like we're losing him, damn it, and things like that. Um, If they had cut that out and put more of a generic, like doctory kind of sound, I was really impressed with how well they handled all that stuff. I thought that came across really well. And the, the thing that I think that the episode does really well is it separates and it makes a war story that feels divorced enough from the Star Trek universe where it almost feels like they're resetting things. Like, I've never, I, I don't think the Klingons have ever felt scarier than this. And you don't really yeah. see them. You know what I mean? Like, you, they, they get away with the sort of cheesiness of the makeup and the way that they talk to each other in the series and stuff like that by just having them be under attack by these guys and them talking about how the Klingons are going to kill the wounded. They'll kill the doctors. They'll kill everyone that comes in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it all feels very true, but it also, doesn't it this doesn't feel anything like star trek combat to this point like this is a much more realistic sort of um tense and sort of horrific look at what's going on and this is the first time i think we've ever seen starfleet ground troopers who are getting killed um yeah and it's just stuff like stuff like that it's interesting the you know the surgery meets in the foxhole is i think he's overplaying it by about 50 percent. but like i <laughs> that's a kind of attitude that i've never really seen before from someone in star trek who's under fire Oh, definitely. Well, I mean, was it was it the ship where we talked about how it feels like the first time that they've actually had blood on the show? Yeah, yep. Um, Real blood that, that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So see, is like bleeding. whole, you know, sick bay is usually filled with people who are like just asleep looking. Yes, uh, or Clean, you know, on, on, in bed. Yeah, yeah. A lot of burns, not a lot of blood. Um, and uh, yeah, the the ER scenes. You know, it's funny you say the thing about the the dialogue sounding so you know kitschy and over the top. It's kind of if you watch movies or shows where they actually um, get real ER people to do those scenes, it's it's almost it's more unnerving 
because yes. they do talk so calmly. Like, uh, was it? I think RoboCop is. Um, I believe the scene where they bring in Alex Murphy after he's been shot, and they're working on on him. I believe everybody in that scene is a real ER doctor. <clears throat> yeah. And so there, you're watching them go through the the paces, and they're just very calmly talking about what's going on. It's like, well, he's bleeding out. We need to. We need to. You know, cut this thing. We need to tie this thing off. Give me the, yeah. uh, 10 more blah, blah, blah of this, and then, you know, we'll call it. And then it doesn't happen. It's like, all right, time of death, 6.15. All right, that's it. And it's just like, right. oh, shit. <laughs> yes. A little, a little, it's not as, uh, it's not doctors pounding on the chest saying, live, damn it, live. Yeah. Well, even even yeah. in like MASH, I remember the movie MASH, uh, it's a lot of just, you know, hanging out and talking very calmly while you're doing really intense shit. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, the emotional edge would wear off after a while, especially here. I, I guess the... Because here it's a little different because they are not on the front line of a war that they're supposed to be on. Like this is yeah. a kind of a sneak attack by the Klingons. Yeah. So everyone's caught a little bit unaware of what's going on. And I think that they, the the doctor scenes are really good. And I think it's actually, it's actually a pretty good Bashir episode. It shows you yeah. both sides of Bashir, which is in the opening where Bashir is sort of happy to be having an article written about him. And he's sort of bragging about his, his writing and the, the stuff that, uh, that, the the other doctors don't agree with his take and how uh, above it all he is. And then he, he settles into a nice role, which is opposite of Jake. It's a foil to Jake where Bashir is a true professional under fire in what's going on. Like he's the one who's sort of telling everyone what to do. He's in Starfleet. He knows how this is all going to work. He's the one who does the stereotypical Starfleet heroic thing where he gets hit by like arterial shell and he gets up and picks up the generator and carries it back by himself. (laughs) So, you know, Jake doesn't do any of that, but Bashir is the one who does these like superhuman acts of will. And he is the one that um, sees it all through. And I really like the ending because it's such subtle stuff that you don't see in Star Trek. They show Bashir reading Jake's story, but he doesn't say anything about it. You just tell everything from his facial expression at the very end. And oh, I, I don't remember that scene. But they show Bashir no, just, reading or Cisco. Reading? Yeah, it's 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 right before Cisco and Jake are reading together. Oh. There's a scene of the camera pans around Bashir, and he's reading the data pad as the voiceover is being read. Oh, I see. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a nice little touch, and it's a good way to sort of subtly show the end, where as opposed to the Cisco scene, which is the Star Trek ending, where they're going to state everything. Mm-hmm. The Bashir thing is a nice little subtle hint at it. Yeah, I thought you know he he was uh, he plays surprisingly smaller role, like because you you would think given the um, the setup of the episode, this would be like a profile and courage of Doctor Bashir, but it, it and it that's the intention. Was yeah, that? surgery under fire, as Jake says, is the yeah, title exactly. before he gets yeah. down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it ends up being something completely different. I think it's probably better served for that because, yeah, you get to see, like you're saying, you actually learn a lot about Bashir and 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 his capabilities peripherally, and probably more interestingly than you would if they had just followed him around. Yeah. Um, and I also, I man, I'm so happy that Jake didn't like. There's not like sexy nurse he falls in love with her son they always do that stuff in these stories where it's like there's the one nurse who's like covered in blood but still looks good yes and she's not like, a hair out of place yeah and they're kind of like talking to each other and he's like why don't she's like well why don't you help me pick that body you know like that kind of stuff i yes. i hate that yep. stuff i shouldn't say i hate no, it. sometimes it. it works it works in band of brothers it was good in band of brothers but in, uh, <laughs> i don't think it would be it would be out of place here it would fit Jake uh, Cisco's character, I think, but they decided not to go with it. They focus instead on. Um, it's also a, a little bit of a hint towards his career as a writer. 
here where mm-hmm. he approaches it with a um the sort of view of a novelist and he wants to get the story that he can write the big story about it's a, it's an homage to um Hemingway and Farewell to Arms and everything mm. um but the what they do with it is that they and this is going to be a thing going forward uh they turn it into more of a journalism angle on it and one of the guest characters actually talks to him about that says are you a journalist and he says no I'm a novelist uh but they they will turn Jake in a little bit of a journalistic angle, and this is the way that they're going to kind of do that and sort of turn him into a war reporter. Um, he's good here. I think everything works. It's a, it's kind of an uh, interesting episode, and because rarely do the characters do such a development swap. Maybe it's because we don't see a lot of Jake Sisko that they're able to do this, but he goes in with a totally different attitude than he comes out with, which... Yeah. Happens sometimes, but it doesn't because a lot of the characters are so ingrained with what they believe and like how they act and everything. It's more subtle than that. Jake being only 18 and being a rarely used character uh, helps it feel natural and realistic. Like his change towards the end here actually feels like it would be possible through this single event for him to have changed so much. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, you know, they, they never, they never gave Wesley anything like this to do. You know, no. they never took him seriously enough as a character to, well, maybe they did a little bit, but not this seriously. Um, and I he think, would have stopped the war. Well, yeah. A Wesley episode would have, he would have solved the, the shootout or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, and I wonder exactly the opposite. Yeah. I wonder if it's because they kind of have more of a, uh, I don't want to say long-term idea, but like they, they seem to have an idea of, <clears throat> excuse me the kind of person Jake is going to become. Uh, so I wonder if that allows them to to kind of move him down that road a little clearer than with Wesley, who was just, you know, another person they were trying to figure out as who has a thing. Like, J- Jake doesn't really have a thing, you know? Like, yeah. the, like as we've talked about a m- million times, the, the, the TNG characters, you can kind of boil down to, like, a thing. They are a theme. They are characters who are basically a theme yes, that they yeah. inhabit. Yeah, yeah and then, you know, they, they play their part in each episodic episode. Uh, because they, whatever their thing is, factors into the story in a certain way. But in, yep. thi- in this, Jake is, is more of a real character because he doesn't really, I mean, he's a writer, but it's not like he doesn't solve any problems by being a writer or right. he doesn't, you know, it doesn't really, I mean, it's the, the framing device for the episode, but it doesn't really play a part in the episode as far as the action. And, uh, it shows him how futile it is. Like he is not what he is is not good enough to stop what's happening. And even if he were to write about it, people wouldn't remember it down the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they've allowed Jake to become more of a real character than they ever did with Wesley. He's um, he is more real. He is more. They have a little bit of like a fluidity that they can do things with him, and I think that his. He's been consistently portrayed as someone who's growing towards something, as you're saying. Like a, a lot of his episodes fe- feature what he wants to be when he grows up, or mm-hmm. like how he's mm-hmm. unhappy now and what this means, and it has has to do with change when Nog leaves and stuff like that. Like he loses his friend, he's lost his mother. Everything that has to do with Jake is about getting older. So he does have that guiding principle to it, and him learning things feels more natural in a way that like if you focus an episode like this on O'Brien, it would kind of feel like, well, O'Brien's like 45 years old. I, yeah. I feel he's a little bit late to be learning things like this. Yeah. So that's the one, I think that's the one positive about having a show like this, where you have a younger character. TNG never got accomplished that with Wesley, but I think Jake does a pretty good job at it. And I think that the, 
the you know as i get one thing that's really changed on this uh, watch of ds9 for me is that uh, i'm watching it now as a parent and the cisco relationship is really actually pretty strong in a way that i didn't appreciate before and i mm-hmm. think that what cisco talks about in this one is really interesting. him cisco and odo have a scene together where they're talking about being parents and no longer being able to protect your kids mm. And I don't know. I, I thought it was really well done. It's really well written and everything like that, especially coming off, off the ICU visit oh, where you feel completely <laughs> helpless and you're like, well, Jesus, like someone has to help him if I can't. Um, but I thought that was really well written. I think that the Cisco's themselves are a pretty decent 90s representation of a father and son, especially in how they're sort of growing apart at yeah. this point. You know, Jake is going his own path. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I also really like that scene because at the beginning when Odo comes in, Cisco is like so into listening to whatever boring <laughs> fucking story Odo has to tell him. He's like, and that's when I hurt my ribs. And he's like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Like, he's so bored that he's just waiting for for Odo to come in and just give him anything. I was, <laughs> and he's like, everyone is so scared to come in and talk to me. But you, Odo, come in. And t- yeah, he tells him that really boring story about jumping off the stairs and he hurt himself. But I was thinking that... uh You've mentioned it before, and now it's all that I can notice. I think sometimes Avery Brooks tries to make dialogue that doesn't need to be interesting interesting. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. like, he there, he he doesn't need to sell that line so hard. Like, he should just relax and be like, and then what happened? Like, it's kind of a, a decent story. Why don't you continue? But he, he leans forward. He, like, taps on the desk, and he's like, and then his eyes grow wide. He's like, and then what happened mm-hmm. then? It's, it's, it's Avery Brooks overselling, and... Um, he didn't do that on the ship, which was uh, what I thought is better for performance, even if he's he's fixing things at this point because he has great scenes now and then. But he uh, he he does do that a little bit too much. Yeah. 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 I like that scene. But yeah, I I, um, <clears throat> I think you're right. I think the I, I was at first not totally sold on the stuff on DS9 because it was like it felt so such a drastic shift because I, I was thinking like, well, I mean, why that you've got so much stuff that you can do back there why do you need to go all the way back to ds9 um but yeah I especially think, it opens with the uh the sort of tertiary retigino decaffeinated coffee with kira yeah scene. that that scene was was pretty silly although i did like i did like the when quark referred to uh the baby as the lessee in a, in a yeah, transaction the he's just like renting that. space yeah which <laughs> yeah, i thought was really space. funny um <laughs> Yeah, that was that scene was whatever. But once they got into the Cisco stuff, I was like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. I mean, you've the I, I think <clears throat> the only thing that might have strengthened that, but you know, it's probably going too far out of the way is to have some sort of scene between the two of them before Jake leaves or something. Yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> but you don't really need that because you've had four seasons of them with scenes together. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the entire story, if you want to consider that a B story, that entire story is told in that scene where Cisco's talking to Odo yeah, about what's yeah. going on. Um, you don't, and you also don't, you get to see Cisco leave. That, uh, that's the same scene that he leaves. But you, I don't think you ever check in with Ben Cisco after that until you see him at the very end. Um, oh, really? That, yeah, is that the only I, time they don't cut back? I can't remember. I don't think so, because he would be on the Defiance, I think. And I don't remember them showing a Defiance scene. So I think that's it. Um, well, there's so there's the scene though where he's like, is this is it the same scene where he's like, ah, I have to go save him, or there's another scene right where where uh, he decides that he needs to go fly the Defiant over there, right? I think that's the end of the Odo scene oh, it because is. Odo's okay. yeah, that's Odo's sitting in the office after they after they leave. So uh, that's I think that's when Cisco realizes that he gets to go at that ah, point. Okay. Um, 
The only other thing I think to really talk about is the the, the what they're actually talking about in the episode, which is the uh, how courage is sort of poorly defined mm. and based on what, what you think. I think the the best part of this, like the it's sort of it's not cliche, but it's very uh, sort of stock and understandable what Jake goes through prior to this. Like he goes in with hubris. He sees a bunch of blood. He starts to freak out. He goes outside and gets under attack where he runs into dying soldiers on the front line and he's even more shell-shocked by it. Mm. He's uh, embarrassed by the fact that he abandoned Bashir and Bashir was able to be the courageous one who finished the job for him and he's sort of embarrassed by the fact that he didn't have the courage to do it and he knows that everyone around him is now judging him as not being able to do this in the future and still being a coward. What I really love, at the ending scene when the Klingons invade, Jake Sisko does not become action hero Jake Sisko yes. and pick up a phaser and yeah. redeem himself. He basically just hides behind a desk and fires a phaser crazily, mm-hmm. which ends up working out for him. And yep. that's how it ends. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I as soon as I uh as soon as I saw the phaser rifle on the ground, I was like, ugh, I know where this is gonna go. And they didn't do it. Um they had him just, you know, spray and pray basically and, and win by accident. And he didn't it yes. wasn't even like he It wasn't a plan. Yeah, and nobody came back to get him at the last minute. The place fell on top of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's he he redeems himself story-wise there by not really becoming something that he's not. He stays consistent with himself. He luckily gets out of it just by sheer happenstance that the thing he does chooses to work. And I... I I think they almost sell at the end that the the other characters think he did something more brave than he actually did. Where yeah. I, I think it's unclear to the other characters that he was really just sort of accidentally ended up in this situation, and they're treating him as more heroic, which ties into his whole thesis of uh, being heroic and being a coward are very difficult to define, and it, it's hard to see what's in the hearts of those actual people when they're doing things. Yeah, and it's really interesting also that he doesn't come right out and say that that he wasn't a hero. You know, yes. he doesn't, yeah. he kind of, he kind of takes the praise yeah, and he might not think that internally, but he doesn't come out and say it. Right. Unless I can, yeah. he might say it to Cisco. I don't remember. Well, Although yeah, it's, he, he, it's his, in his writing, Cisco has the line about, uh, it takes bravery to show people what's in your heart or right, to write right. down what's yeah. in your heart and then show it to other people. Yeah. 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 So I guess he does say it eventually. Um, he, um, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't turn it down immediately when he's laying there in the, uh, the, the cinders in the concrete. He's not, uh, he's not about to tell Dr. Bashir he's not a hero. Right. Right. Wait, wait for the book. You know, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I got to see Peter Jackson's new documentary about world war one. Um, and it was really worth, I, unfortunately, I don't think it's playing in the theater anymore, but if it, when it comes out on DVD, you should check it out. It's really amazing. Um, and one of the things that, really struck me as is the the only dialogue in it is all recordings they did with with actual survivors of the war and um every single one of them who talked about it talked about it the same way which was just like yeah you know it was well first of all they they talk about it in that weird dry british way where they're talking about the worst thing to ever happen to the planet as though it was just going to get milk at the store yeah yeah is this um, world war one or world war two world war one Okay. And uh they're like, Yeah, you know, it was it was awful, but uh you just you just had a job to do and, and you went out and you did it and you didn't really you didn't really think about what it meant. And it, it, like they they all talk about how Stiff upper lip. Yeah, it's unbel- it's unbelievable. And I'm sure some of that is probably putting on a little bit of a, a of a front uh to hide the fact that they were scared shitless, but it's uh you know I, I f- I kind of, I felt like Jake Sisko 
in this episode when I was watching that thing going like, I don't know how these people are reacting this way. They're just doing what they have to do and just ignoring all the carnage around them when I would just be like screaming in a corner somewhere. Yeah, my my grandparents lived through the Nazi bombings in World War II. Oh, man. They were alive alive for that. did, Did you ever talk to them about it? They don't really, they, they have the same attitude you are. They were like, well, it was a pretty bad week we had. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like, they don't, they don't treat it like it's a historical event that you would think of. It mm. was more just like, yeah, that was that thing that happened. And it's a jolly good thing that we came out on the other side. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's a very funny British uh, tendency to do that. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that struck me in this episode when I was thinking about it compared to that documentary is the astronomical loss of life in the in the first world war um that uh a lot of times kind of gets forgotten about and that was general for the entire war but based on this episode i the one of the lines that really struck me was at the end when he, when jake was talking about how all of these people died all of the stuff happened and no one's going to remember this in like a year yes. like this is not even yep. like a major battle not this a major a battle minor yeah, skirmish, skirmish and no one's going to talk about this ever and it, you know it was that that kind of um i don't know f- uh fickleness or flippancy when it comes to this kind of stuff is is really fascinating like in the, one of the, and not to turn this into a talk about the documentary but one of the things that they talked about that struck me there was when they when all these soldiers came home nobody talked about it like it it wasn't like they all came home and it was this big parade and everybody was like oh thank you for what you did it was just like you know you got you were gone for two years and now you're back and nobody really talked about why you were gone or what you had done and it was just they got they tried to forget about it as quickly as possible which is it's amazing when when you think about yeah. what's actually happening. I mean they'll <clears throat> that sort of that attitude is going to be written into Jake in a way. Yeah, Jake will become the sort of Vietnamization. You know, like. People say that Vietnam was the first war we lost because it was the first one that people could actually see what was going on over right, there. Right, As opposed to just sort of like blank news stories or like very delayed things from World War II where mm-hmm. the news doesn't come over for a while. Like there were actually embedded reporters in Vietnam. And reporting on the war that way, as Jake is going to, and he kind of does here, changes the attitude and the perception of the warfare so that you're able to sort of write about it a little bit more you know, you could say romantically or whatever. You could write about it more uh, on a human level than the sort of raw data dump numbers level of who's winning where. But I think that I think that's Jake's ultimate uh, purpose and fate is to become that kind of a character. Whether or not you think that works in the 24th century, it doesn't yeah. really matter because uh, DS9 has kind of given up on what it, uh, the fact that they exist in the 24th century and they're really embracing more just classic storytelling tropes and building off their... Uh, building the show off of those things, this being a, just a, a very uh, sort of standard war story, I suppose you could say at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, as they've started doing this, <clears throat> God, excuse me, um, I've started th- thinking about how them expanding their environment, like I always talk about, is actually starting to poke holes in the Star Trek concept a little bit. And yep. I think some of the ways it's doing that is that traditionally – Everything was was seen through the eyes of the Enterprise, right? Which is a um, military, for lack of a better term, a military vessel, right? And so, mm-hmm. what you're seeing is more or less an accounting of of the military actions of of whatever their mission was. 
And as you bring more people into it and bring more civilization into it and widen your net, you start to think about things like, well, we're on Deep Space Nine now. We're not on the Enterprise. This is not necessarily a military operation anymore. This is a, a, a community of people. But there's no news. There's no outside information like the information on in on the older shows we get the information because the enterprise is getting the information because they're privy to whatever federation is getting the federation yes, is getting. they get as much information as you need to, yeah. to follow along yeah. but like now that you're on deep space nine there's nothing to imply that people are f- finding out anything about this war that's going on or anything re- regarding uh the circumstances of it the only time we've seen anything like it really is when uh they have that uh gauron thing where they're like oh gauron's a changeling that's the only like time people are watching the news basically you know it's and it's not even the news it's like this one specific thing it's and it makes you think about these these um external elements that play so heavily into stories about wars and you know multiple conflicts involving countries and stuff like uh if this was going on realistically, where's uh, all the Klingon propaganda that would be coming out, you know, or like yep. there's there's none of that is not, at all. And like there's no yep. touching on that. And it, it kind of it's it's bringing up interesting questions as far as uh, um, what bringing that stuff in would do to the worldview of, of Star Trek. Yeah, we talked about it. Uh, obviously, a lot of it's budgetary because we talked about it in a home front where apparently Earth is on lockdown and we see two security guards throughout the yeah, whole show. Yes. Like this, there's no real sense that any of this is happening. You just kind of have to take it for what it is. But yeah, it's a when they do things like how does the news work? You hear a lot of um, I will say DS9 does tend to act as if the characters gossip quite a bit yeah, about yeah. what's going on. Like it's sort of hearsay, the news that they <clears throat> pass between each other. But they don't have like an official uh, CNN of the future or Fox News of the future or anything like that that I, they're tuning into. I guess you could kind of, if you really wanted to, I guess you could take away that maybe that kind of stuff has become more personalized as far as like the way people view it. So if you extrapolate yeah. out, extrapolate out what we have now, you're not seeing phones and stuff like that, but they do have tablets and screens and stuff like that. So you could extrapolate out, oh, maybe they're getting all their info through those things, and we just don't see that. Yes, um, yes. That's, what, that's what I'd have to assume. Yeah, but it's it's interesting that they've they've yet to, to touch on stuff like that. And usually when they do, it's 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 with some sort of like subspecies or something where like they go to a, uh, they go to some place that hasn't achieved warp yet, and they're like, well, these people love the newspaper, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, they they, they just invented the printing press and yeah. it has a warp drive attached to it. So let's talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> Have they ever done that? Have they ever gone to a civilization who who achieved warp by accident? They sh- they should have. I think there is some stuff about like the. Uh, I believe it's sort of like canon that the Klingons didn't invent warp drive; they just stole it from a species. Oh, really? That they conquered. Yeah. That's so it's stuff like stuff like that, which they should get into. I don't think they ever do on the show, but that's a book canon if you want to consider it canon or something like that. Um, okay, so we're going to call it a day there. We're going to take a break, play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back, read some patron thoughts, give our final thoughts about Nor the Battle to the Strong. But I have to do something. I've got to try. Forget it. But I have to. That way this loan makes sense. Maybe I ran for a reason. So I could find you and, and save your life. Ran? From the explosions. 
We had to get to the runabout for the generator and the shelling started and I couldn't see Dr. Bashir. The, the explosions, they kept getting closer. I, I had to get out of there. So, so I ran. I ran and I kept running until I found you. The doctor, you left him. It was a mistake. That's what you call it. I didn't mean for it to happen. And now you think bringing me back is gonna make everything all right. <laughs> Sorry, kid. <laughs> Life doesn't work like that. All right. So as always, if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, which is much appreciated, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. According to the poll, people like this. So this will be something that continues. But here's Holly McLaughlin. She says, nor the battle to the strong. If my memory of Bible class as a kid is accurate, this title comes from a reverse about time and chance happening to everyone. Jake's maturity in telling the truth is a nice character moment for him. And having to accept that he can't always protect his son is a nice character moment for Benjamin. I will actually read the entire quote that this is from. It comes from uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, I don't know my Bible books. Ecclesiastes, chapter Mm -hmm. 9, verse 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. That's what the title is from. I <laughs> and thank I call, I call bullshit on this title. I, I think I said this previously when you mentioned it the first time. I hate it when the, it's, it's so pretentious to pick like the middle sentence of a four sentence quote. <laughs> And like dot, dot, I don't know. It just feels cheap to me. If you're going to do it, of, go all the way and do it like they used to do and just take the like the entire stanza of a Shakespeare poem. And that's the title <laughs> of your Star Trek episode. <laughs> I kind of like it. Um, I just like really dramatic titles, I think, in, yeah. in Star Trek. So they, they'll start doing this a little bit more. But yeah, they do. They do cherry pick uh, the center, the center component of the whole quote out here. Stephen Cobb says, can't get past the voiceover. Way weaker than a captain's log is a story tool. Uh, do Chris, Christian Pouch says this episode is supposed to be a really gritty look at the savageness of war on the front front lines, but there are a couple things that don't fully work for me. One, I feel like some of the performances are too blunt, like they're trying too hard. I could be the only one who thought that, but I also think it's difficult to take such a land engagement seriously when Star Trek ground combat is so primitive. No body armor, no crude weapons, and we never actually see any vehicles. Why aren't they? Bom- why aren't they bombarded? Is there a shield? I'm a little meh on this one, but if you can convince me otherwise, maybe you can. Um, You're thinking with your brain, not with your heart, man. Yeah, that's that's. this is an episode that takes place in your heart, not on the actual battle lines. Uh, I, 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 mean, I would besides- like to say, go back a second and mention the voiceover thing. Sure. Um, <clears throat> if Ciroc Lofton was a better actor, I actually would have liked to have seen a spinoff from this that was basically just Jake Sisko out in the in the galaxy. I think that would have been interesting, like as him maybe like post series. Yeah. Yeah. So he's yeah. out there like basically the, the voiceover becomes his captain's log as he's like journaling his, his adventures or something. I think that would have been kind of interesting. Yeah. 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 That's the next uh, discovery spinoff. You just you just pitched it and landed a job writing that one. I think, Clay, they're giving them out to everybody. So, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> Zen Nuclear Wessel says, um, but for Christian's point. Um, I don't, I don't disagree about the acting. I don't really care about the battle scenes because I, um, I think that the hinting at what the Klingons are doing is more effective than actually seeing them in in a lot of cases. So I don't mind it doing that way. Uh, Zamnuko Wessel says, 
This is basically DS9 MASH, but I like it as a one-time change of pace. The guest characters are more of an ensemble than you usually get, and I especially like the guy dying in the foxhole. The speeches are a little actory, but part of the story is about how everyone is there performing and putting on a front. I really like the glimpse of Bashir on the hospital bed, imagining what he's going to tell the captain. Um, I like the point about putting on a front. I think that's effective. Uh, I wish I could buy into it enough to really elevate the episode a little bit more, but I can't. Mm. I wish the guy in the foxhole or the the shell hole or whatever had been less of a like just a generic tough guy. Yes. You do, like, you, yeah. you don't let my guts fall over yeah, your shoes. Sit me up so I can look at the sky when I die. I'm not gonna look at the dirt. <laughs> don't let me look at the dirt. I just that might be the the roughest stretch of uh, action for uh, someone in a Star Trek thing. Jake Sisko falls over a dead Klingon, runs and falls down a hill, and the guy hits him with like the butt of his gun. Yeah. When he lands on the Drink the water, pussy. I don't need it. I'm dying like a soldier. That, see, that character is a little bit too generic of the tough guy soldier. I, I, the worst part to me was the ending where Jake Sisko's like, "I left the doctor and I ran away." He's like, "You left the fucking doctor." He's like. <laughs> Like, you fucking pussy i'm gonna die now and then he just dies like there's I, no he's such a he's such a hard soldier character that he is more interested in interacting with this coward he sees before him than being like jesus christ like i don't want to die out here all by myself it's a little yeah. it's a little goofy i wish it had been tim roth from reservoir dogs yeah. ah, i'm fucking dying <laughs> we need more blood there's a lot of blood yeah. coming out of tim roth in is that this movie. is this the most violent episode of star trek ever uh, so far, there they, as you're gonna find, they will start. I'm repeating. sorry, before they start cutting up bodies in fucking Discovery. <laughs> that the the Klingons there are the most violent, but uh, you're gonna find actually that the show will start repeating themes that they've done and redoing them a little bit better in the next couple seasons. Yeah. Um, the ship episode there, which was the second episode of this season. There's an episode, the second season of next season, called Rocks and Shoals, which is almost identical but it's it's different but it's almost the same setup and it's oh. interesting mm. that they repeat it like that um let's see here kyle barris says nor the battle to the strong is just me or was it strange to hear Dak say thursday in such a sci-fi world where I, had 26 hour yeah i also thought that was kind of weird <laughs> have they ever <laughs> mentioned days ever in the show i've never i've never heard days of the week mentioned before and it doesn't make any sense in context because who knows if they're if they're operating on a 24-hour day at that point um they have 26 hour days and star dates it sounds odd to hear someone say the normalcy of thursday they rarely say days of the week opting instead for in five days or in a couple of weeks but thursday nah that's not right not right at all other than that i enjoy the episode a fair amount sure some of the acting is a little ropey and jake gets a little too close to wesley crusher for my liking in a few scenes but we've never had a star trek episode like it the series had never had wars the focus quite like this and while it's not as much as to uh, not as much to today's standards. They do push the injuries and blood quite far. It's a good look at the cost of war through the most innocent eyes on the station. Although, maybe not that innocent, I guess. Hashtag Jake Sisko fuck machine. Mm-hmm. That's why I thought uh, he, I thought that one older female nurse, I was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's going to be it. That's the one. It's on like Donkey Kong. Matthew Ross says, I enjoyed the ideas in this one, but felt there could have been more. The story is interesting in that you get a sort of non-Starfleet view of what happens. The mash of triage surgery scene where it's supposed to be played harsh or tension-filled comes across as too casual. The main thing I cannot erase from my head is the scene where Bashir and Jake are running. What the hell was that? They did great running, Matthew Ross. Did they I will, learn that from I the- will say, I was watching this with my girlfriend, and every time they cut to Jake, Jake running, she goes, he's so gangly. <laughs> 
which I can't <laughs> disagree with. Matthew Ross says, did they learn that from the Ministry of Gangly Running? Mm-hmm. The character, you know, he's actually, uh, he's like a nephew of Kenny Lofton, the baseball player, actually. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he does have a little bit of raw athleticism running through the family. <laughs> That's what that um, is. <laughs> 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 we we've all we've all been 16 arms and legs 20 miles long running this way and that the mm-hmm. characterization of all the characters though seem to be played in the extreme the coward ptsd soldier the hero the all-knowing orderly that detracts from the idea it's trying to convey the extras laying around on the open plain seem quite scant for a massive battle and all jakes needs to say is that he was there to write for stars and stripes the two security guards have rifles in the end scenes why uh they weren't being rushed by hand but by two klingons and they couldn't do anything really if those Klingons moved any slower, they would have had their hands on their hips and cackled maniacally. One thing's for certain, with the destruction of the Farragut, which is supposedly not a light-nothing ship, and the way that the Klingons run all over these colonies, you really have to start to wonder how prepared the Federation is for a determined enemy. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, one criticism I've seen, Clay, I don't know, you didn't mention it, so you probably don't think, I don't think it is. Uh, it feels a little bit uh, episode to have a peace treaty sort of rekindled or ceasefire between the Klingons. And then it just starts and stops for the action of this episode. Yeah. I thought that was weird. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know why they just didn't set this. Well, I mean, maybe it's just production, but like it would have made more sense just to do this like two episodes ago or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before whatever they did the, uh, the, the peace treaty thing. Yes. So to do that last season, I mean, I, Yeah. It feels like one of those things, or you could just uh, do it away in that the, uh, you know, maybe one one thing Discovery is harping on is that the you could write the Klingons as sort of um, a lot of them, they don't really act as a unified front. Maybe you could write them that way. Like there are going to be sort of rebel factions of Klingons that go out and look for battle, even though there is a ceasefire going on. Sure. Uh, I could see something like that, but it doesn't really bother me. Well, it's yeah, just kind I'm, of an odd little episode. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens all the time. I mean, it happened... Uh... What was it the is it the Battle of New Orleans that was like two weeks after oh, sure. the end of the Civil War or something like that? Yeah, uh, uh, the Revolutionary, right? Was that or was it Battle of? I think it was. Maybe it might this, have been Civil War. No, it wasn't. Maybe it was like War of eighteen twelve. I think Andrew Jackson was involved. I can't remember which war it was. Okay. Um, yeah, and there's that story of the uh, <laughs> the Japanese soldier who didn't who was fighting the Second World War until nineteen seventy five. Have you heard about that? No, is he just stuck on an island yeah, somewhere? Yeah, he was like marooned on an island, and he nobody uh, nobody told him that the war was over, and if they did, he didn't believe them. So he basically right. was just fighting the war himself for 30 years until they actually found his commanding officer who was like working in a library or something. And they brought his commanding officer and was over, and he was like, and was like dude, the war's been over for 30 years. You got to chill out and come back home. Yeah, yep. Yeah, well, it does. War does crazy things to crazy people. It seems like not to not to sort of shit on World War II and the trauma that inflicted. But yeah, it's a, it, the there's that unbroken movie, the guy who like plashed crashed oh, a plane yeah. in World War II yeah. and floated around on a boat for three weir- years or whatever. Yeah, um, I mean we we completely ruined Japan. Or I, I, I don't yeah. know if we should say. I mean, yeah, essentially, if we didn't ruin it, we fucked them up pretty good. <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't probably- think, I don't think that uh, that really is understood enough anymore about exactly like how we kind of broke Japan's collective mind. Well, the, the West, well, cause we refixed them up. They're better than ever. Now they're like Germany and Japan are like two of the great success stories of it's like, it was a time when like nation building was actually possible and you could like 
sort of improve a situation from what they were. But you know what I mean. No, I know. But the, the, what is it? It's called the Western, Western Curtain? What is it? What is that? Theater. Uh, The Western Western Theater, right? Yeah, the, uh. That, that, we don't talk about that as much in our like history classes, but the the Western, the Pacific War, oh, that is probably the, much weirder than the European side. Yeah, that was technically the, the Eastern Front, I think. Oh, am I get, I'm getting them the mixed up just because of the the globe type thing. But yeah, it's like like the that book about the guy was just like plane technology wasn't great back then, and you were flying from these little tiny island chains one to another, and mm-hmm. it's like the planes were just crashing all over the place, and it's just like what a terrible awful place to have to fight a war in with technology that's not particularly good oh god yeah that you know not to go back to world war one but i find it endlessly fascinating because it was the most violent war ever in the history of the world and people seem to have forgotten completely about it yes. uh but if yeah. you if you look at the the technology change in the four years that it was going on they went from fighting on cavalry on horseback to uh tanks yeah, and like Digging the entire and machine gunning each other. Yeah, yeah, the entire war was basically just they they jumped. There had been like no major advancement in military technology in like 150 years before then, and then <laughs> yeah. they they <laughs> leapt forward like two centuries in the course of four years. It's crazy. Yeah, they still ended up not going anywhere. World War One is funny because for how long they fought, no one really gained anything. Yeah, like the people that's what just makes stuck. it that much crazier is that it was. Yeah. you know they like a. I think uh, in England alone, like a million people died over the yep. course of four years, and they for really nothing. Yeah, it's it's fucking insane. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> you have to really believe in a cause, I guess. Anyway, let's uh, we'll wrap this up. So, what are you going to give this one on a scale of one to five? I had a very hard time rating this one, so I'm going to see what you say. I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say four. Okay, is that what you thought I was going to say? Yeah, and I. I think this. I guess I'll, I'll. I guess I'll say a four, but it's like a really weak four to mm-hmm. me. Um, something just feels off. Something felt off for the ship for you, and you couldn't quite put your finger on it. I yeah. kind of feel that way about this one. I. I more appreciate this. This one's like a Primus episode to me. I more appreciate this than I want to watch or listen to it. <laughs> um, and I don't really the, listen to their music, but I appreciate that they're making it. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's a, it's a good on you for going out there and getting your own MP3 ID named Primus as opposed to any other thing. But like, yeah, it's just I really like what they did with Jake. I think that the story is pretty good. The guest acting really kills me in a lot of ways. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't really have major problems with it, but it just doesn't grab me. I think something is just viscerally disconnected from it, which is yeah. odd because it's such a visceral episode. Yeah, that's fair. Let's see here. So that's it. We're both going to give it a four. Uh, I'll give it a sort of a hesitant four, but it goes in a four nonetheless. Nor the battle to the strong. Thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. You can go to Facebook, Twitter, Discord, all those things. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support the show. And remember, there's a poll up there for all the patrons who currently listen. It'd be great if you could go there and let me know what you think about the Patreon. Otherwise, you can rate the show on iTunes. All that stuff. Check out. I'll be putting up a couple of YouTube videos. They'll probably be up by the time this comes up as a year up, uh, year end wrap up. You can check those out if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Clay, do you have anything that you want to say? Um, Night moves in stores now. If you like comic books, also I think Poser, I think Poser number four, the final issue of Poser, comes out 
uh, January, I think. Are we in January, yeah. technically? Yeah, I think we're in January yeah. at this point. Uh, yeah, it should be out pretty soon. And uh, we got the Bat-Ass Podcast. If you want to listen to me and Sean talk about Batman the Animated Series, you can do that. We yep. put out our Christmas special covering Mask of the Phantasm. And I'm also looking forward to the results from that poll, because if it's anything like last year's results from the poll, they should be pretty interesting. Oh, this is this is, this is more, a different poll? Uh, well, this is for Patreon as opposed to oh, the, the okay. podcast in general. Yeah. Okay, so the answers will be more reasonable, probably. <laughs> probably. Can I, I'll put can I say? Can I say my favorite answer from last year? I don't want to. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but I don't know. Who no, wrote but people this. will have forgotten what they wrote okay. last year too. So my favorite. Ahead. My favorite thing that we well, got this in is a poll. A, this is a. It was a poll to say <clears> what could be improved about the show just sort of like on a technical level like what you would like prefer the episodes do what we're doing wrong what you think is good so that's yes. go ahead and the question was uh you know what would you what would you improve and the person wrote more patreon content all right cool then a couple questions later was are you a subscriber to the patron and if not what would make you subscribe to be part of the patreon and the person wrote i am not and i would not ever subscribe so they <laughs> So they would prefer we do more Patreon content, but have no intention of listening to it or, or, or paying for it, at least. I, I yes, thought that was very yes. interesting. Yeah, it's difficult. It's one of the, I'll be talking about more of this with the Patreon, but the, the Patreon is funny because the Patreon is really the only reason that the show exists. So how do you say this? Like the... If you don't want to support on Patreon, that's fine. But it's weird to sort of shit on the Patreon at that point because the other people are funding what you're listening to. Right. Like re- realize that when you're when you're saying these things. Like the pay- I can understand you don't have the money, you don't have the means, you don't particularly want to support the show. It's totally fine. Other people are, and you're getting the benefit of it. So I'm not saying you have to donate or anything like that, but just like be aware. When you're writing these comments that are like, I would never subscribe to the Patreon. I don't believe in any of this stuff. It's like, well, all right. It's like you're, you're getting stuff for free on the, the kindness of strangers, basically. But then also, why would you care if we do more Patreon content? We do more do more of it, too. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> Unless they're stealing it somehow. <laughs> they could be. They could be. Yeah. It's probably uh, it's probably Greg. <laughs> Fucking Greg. <laughs> um, that's it. But yeah, I'd appreciate it if you guys fill out the uh, the patron poll that's about it we're going to wrap it up there check out clay's new books which are out you can get them online you can get them at your local comic shop i think we're done we're going to talk about bandersnatch now which will probably be out before this so this won't make a lot of sense but have a good one guys and we will see you next time